right, thank you, Brother Vaughn. Let's stand and take our Bibles, please, this morning. Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7. Again, we're so glad to have you here at church today and to worship the Lord with us. I'm glad you're in church this morning. Say amen. amen. We're glad you're here today. Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7. We're in a series entitled So Great Faith. I'd like you to start with verse 1 with me, and we will read down to verse 10. If you uh, do not have a King James Version Bible, if you look around you, your neighbor will be glad to share that Bible with you. And if you notice that someone doesn't have a Bible or doesn't have the King James Version, if you'll be kind enough to share that with them, that would be a blessing. Luke chapter 7, notice verse 1. Now, when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was there unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he had heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was uh, now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, He marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that follow him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. I want you to notice some things in this passage of Scripture this morning. If you got your pen, we sometimes do this. I want you to notice some words and some phrases that I, I, I pray that will just speak to your heart this morning that we'll cover today. But notice in verse 1, first of all, that Jesus is in the city of Capernaum. You want to underline Capernaum so you understand the setting where he's at. Then notice in verse 2, we want to, you want to notice that we see um, two people mentioned in verse 2. We see a certain centurion and this centurion servant. You want to underline that. You want to underline the phrase in verse 2 that says about this servant that he was ready to die. And then as we work our way down, notice in verse 4 the word worthy. I want you to underline the word worthy, if you would, please. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And then as we work our way down, I want you to notice, uh, as we go a little bit further down, that uh, this, this centurion, he uh, sends a word to Jesus, and he makes mention of this word worthy again in verse 6. And the word worthy again in verse 7, and you might just make a mar- note in your margins, the word that's used for worthy, that's first of all used in verse 4, is not the same word in the original language that's used in verse 6 and 7. And we'll talk about that in a minute here. And then I want you to notice as we get down to this, verse 9, this is, the, this is really the crux of our message. Three words stand out, which is the title of the message this morning. And those three words are found in verse 9, so great faith. And we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning looking at this, this centurion, his servant, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this remarkable um, phrase that Jesus uses to describe this man, he speaks of this man as having so great faith. And as we enter the Christmas season, that's, that's just a great thought for us because we can't help but notice when we get into this next week and the week after, we look at the life of Mary and the life of Joseph. 
the great faith they have. And God wants you and I to have great faith. The choir sang about faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. The just shall live by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Faith is an integral part of the Christian life. The starting point into the, into the family of God, the starting point into heaven is you must have faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do you have faith this morning? Do you have faith in God? Do you have a great faith? That's this morning what we want to look at today. So great faith. Now, Father, today we're so thankful for all the goodness of God. We're thankful, Lord, first of all, for the goodness of God that it leads to repentance. We're thankful for the goodness of God. It reminds us that, God, you're good all the time, and all the time God is good. We're reminded this morning that, God, your mercies are new every day, and your faithfulness to us is beyond description. And thank you today that the Bible says that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And thank you today, Lord, that Jesus Christ, our Savior, who we'll be looking at today, he is our mediator between God and man. He is our advocate with the Father. He is the Savior of all the world. He's the Son of the Highest and the Son of God. He's the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. He's the bread of life that I pray today would make every soul hungry for Him. He's the water of life that satisfies every thirsting soul. And today, I'm reminded that Jesus said, Blessed are they that thirst and hunger after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Father, give us a sincere hunger and thirst for God. Help us during these busy Christmas days not to lose sight of the fact that Christmas is about your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the virgin birth. Thank you that God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. Thank you this morning that the Word, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And... John said, and we beheld his glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This morning, we marvel, just as Jesus marveled at the faithless man, we marvel that Christ came into the world, that he was God in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. We marvel that Christ took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Father, in the simplicity of the Christmas story, warm our hearts and the simplicity of Christmas story help us to have the mind of christ and in the simplicity of the christmas story help us to realize it's about faith alone in jesus christ that can save every soul father we confess today that we are people of little faith and maybe for some of no faith we need you to increase our faith and we need you to help us to have the faith like this centurion had that jesus marveled at father would you work in our hearts would you help us today to be undistracted would you help us today to have sanctified thoughts and sanctified minds would you help us have tender hearts with which to receive the word of God would you revive the faith of every believer here today and help those without Christ help those who are who are not saved that today their entry point into the Christian faith would be by faith alone in Jesus Christ father we need you lord we come to you just like the centurion he needed you we come to you this morning because we need you in a desperate way meet us satisfy our needs meet with our lives touch our faith we pray and we ask all these things in the precious powerful wonderful name of your son the lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people say amen you may be seated we've been in this series for a few weeks now uh, uh, using the phrase so great 
So great is used several times in the Bible. We started out by looking at uh, the so great a salvation is found in Hebrews chapter two, verse three. The writer of Hebrews said, how should we escape if we neglect so great salvation? We proceeded from there going to uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, and looking at so great a cloud of witnesses that were among. We saw the week after that the nature about the, uh, the fact in Exodus chapter 30, 32 about so great a sin. And then the last time we were in this passage uh, in, in this series, we looked at before Dr. Getsch came last week, we looked at so great to people. And this morning we're here looking at this thought that Jesus made or this phrase that Jesus made about this centurion man where he said this man had so great a faith. Now we might read this many times and may, maybe he doesn't, we're just kind of used to it, but we want to look at this man and the great faith that he had and the magnitude of that, what it means to us. When we think about the term so great, we think of things that are just that just kind of catch our attention, that take our breath away and uh, cause us just to ponder on things. We, we think of something of great magnitude in size. Have you ever been on an ocean liner and you've looked at the vastness of the ocean? You can't help but look across the, the magnitude of the ocean looking towards the horizon and say, man, that is so great. Or if you've ever been to the, uh, over to the Grand Canyon and you stood over the uh, cliff's edge and you've looked across that great space of uh, precipice there, you've said, so, this is so great. Or maybe you think about maybe reading something in Natural Ge- National Geographic and, or something of that nature and you see these great scenes and you think, man, that's so great. And today we're, we're looking at these things in the Bible. Bible that are so great, things that take our breath away and things that capture our attention. And we should never get to the place that the, that the things of God and the blessings of the Lord and uh, the work of God did ever, should ever just get, we get used to. We wanted to capture our, our thought and attention in a great way. This morning, look at this situation with me in verse, chapter 7 of Luke that's also repeated in Matthew chapter 8. And I want us to draw our attention today on a situation that started out with tragedy. It started out with a situation that did not look very good, but in the end, when Jesus Christ came into that situation, he turned that all around. It's possible for you and I to have, like this man, a great faith. It's possible for every one of us here, regardless of our age, regardless if we're starting in the Christian life, or we're stunted in the Christian life, or we're trying to make great strides in the Christian life, to realize that every one of us can have a great faith. God wants you and I to have faith that's in action. And God wants you and I to have a faith that's alive. And God wants you and I to have a faith that just abounds in Jesus Christ. And this morning, let to see the components and, and, and what the Lord exhorts us to have in this matter of a great faith. Notice, first of all, if you would, in verses 1 and 2, we see a dying servant, a dying servant. Notice again, if you would, in verse 2, it says, a certain centurion's servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. Jesus has just completed, as we see verse 1, he's just completed in chapter 6 and a tremendous sermon that he preached. It is not the Sermon on the Mount, but it's more aptly called the Sermon on the Plain. Now, the, the, the components of the message were very similar, and he, he repeated the same things he did on the Sermon on the Mount, but this particular sermon was on a plain. He was not standing on a mount. It's called the Sermon on the Plain. And he said many uh, the same things that he made mention of on the Sermon on the Mount. From there, we notice in chapter 7, verse 1, that Jesus returned to the city of Capernaum. Now, when you read through the Gospels, Capernaum was a very prominent city in the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was a city that was situated northward on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, where Capernaum was, it was where the, the, the Jordan River met with the Sea of Galilee. It poured right into the Sea of Galilee. It was an important place for the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 2, Capernaum was the location where Jesus was in a house 
filled with people. And he was preaching and teaching the word of God. And four men were carrying a stretcher. And they had a friend that they wanted to get to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible describes the situation that that the, the room was so filled. It was pressed with people that there was no way they could get in through the door to bring their friend to Christ. And so these men became very creative in their way of thinking. And they thought there's only one way we can get our friend to Jesus. We've got to go on top of the roof. And they're on top of the roof. We're going to break up the we're going to break up the roof and we'll 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 just help help our friend to descend down. We'll call each man. We'll hold the end of the of a rope and we'll help our friend to descend. And they brought this man right down into the very presence of Jesus Christ. Of course, if you know the story there, Christ healed that man and he marveled at the faith of the four that brought that man. Capernaum was the place where his teaching ministry would gain great recognition as one that taught with power. It is said in Luke chapter four, verse 30 there at Capernaum that men were astonished at his doctrine that he taught. It was not like the doctrine of the Pharisees. It was not dead, but it was alive. It was not filled with men's ideas. It was filled with the doctrines of God. You know, there's something about coming to a Bible preaching church. And when the word of God is open and the word of God is preached, there's something about it that lights a fire in your soul. Amen. There's something about it that just causes you to be stirred. You want to know more about the Bible. You want to know more about the doctrines of scripture. You just feel like by the time the message is ended, you feel like you want more and you should want more. You need to taste and to see that the Lord is good. Amen. You ought to desire the sincere milk of the word of God and not only being the milk of the word, but you should desire to gravitate and graduate into the meat of the word. You want more of the meaty stuff out of the word of God. Some preachers have said this in in order to grow in the Christian faith. You start off with milk and then you go to meat. And from with the meat, you start to produce muscle there in your body, if you would spiritually speaking. And so we see this morning that Christ has gone back to Capernaum because he was burdened about what was going on there. So he's on this northward sector of the Sea of Galilee. And we're told here that a centurion uh, that had a servant that was there in this the city. Now, Jesus knew about the centurion and Jesus knew about that servant. He didn't tell his disciples that. But we have to bear in mind, Jesus is God and Jesus is all knowing. We have to remind ourselves as we get into the Christmas season that the virgin birth of Jesus Christ was a necessity to preserve the fact that Jesus is God. He created this world. And when he entered this world, he entered this world as God. You say, Pastor Fong, he entered this world as a baby. Yes, he entered this world was a baby, but that little baby was God incarnate. Amen. He was God in the flesh. He was the same one who created the world. He may have been a baby in terms of physical presence, but inside that baby was the son of God. And inside that son of God was the same God who's the same yesterday, today and forever. We must never lose sight of the fact that Jesus always is God, that Jesus is God, that Jesus always will be God. He's God who's creator. He's God who's all powerful. He's God who's continuous and he's God who's in control of all things. And we need to be reminded this morning as we sit here today. If Jesus Christ is not your savior, the starting point for you is to accept him as the savior of your life. And so notice this morning, Christ is here. He knows about this. And we're brought, we're introduced here in verse two to a very tragic situation. We're told about a a certain centurion servant, a certain centurion servant. Now, who was this? Who was this servant? If you would, what are we, what, why is this servant important? Well, notice number one, as we look at this dying servant, we notice this man was property. He was property. The word for servant, there are two words that you find in the Bible that refer to servant, especially in the New Testament. 
One word is the word diakonos, which where we get our word deacon from. The word diakonos refers to someone who serves, someone who's actively serving the Lord. We might refer to that person as a minister of the Lord. We serve God. Yesterday, in fact, today, I just think about as, as, the, as the church was getting started, our staff started coming here and our, and our, and our, and our bus drivers that drive our buses and vans started coming here and uh, those who set up refreshments started coming here and some of our men who get here a little bit earlier who help to just kind of make, make sure the leaves are swept up and, uh, and blown away and set up and all these things and teachers who spent this week preparing their lessons so they could be presented there in the adult growth groups today. I mean, all of these different groups of people and the ladies helping in the nursery and the choir and the orchestra who spent several hours yesterday in preparation for this next Saturday and Sunday for the musical and again this morning they are serving you. Our instrumentalists are serving you. Our AV are serving you. We think of the word diakonos as talking about people who serve one another. I'm thankful for a church that has people that are serving God. They're active and busy for the Lord. And that's, that's a good word. But the word diakonos is not used here to describe the servant. The word that's used here to describe this man is the word doulos. And the word doulos is the word where we get the word slave from. This man was a slave. This man was bought on the open market. This man was the property of the centurion. Slaves had no rights. Slaves had no benefits. Slaves were mistreated. Slaves were, were, were treated worse than animals. Slaves were not considered people, if you would. And so, from the modern day context of the time, slavery, as has always been, is a very terrible thing. To put somebody under bondage, if you would. And so this man was property. He belonged to this centurion. If this slave ever ran away, like any other slave, if they ran away, the, the owner had the right, if he was recaptured, to kill that slave right on, right on notice. And so, if you can imagine, the life of a slave was hard. And the life of a slave was very, 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 very tough there, if you would. And they were not allowed to mingle with other people in the house. And they had to eat separately from everyone else and sometimes the meals they were served were different from everyone else and basically the servant the, the slave if you would had to be at the wish and the whim of the owner and master for whatever he want now i don't know about you but a life like that you have no rights you have no liberty you have no life your life is controlled by that owner and this man was property I remind you this morning that even as the word diakonos refers to us as servants i remind you this morning that many times paul used the word doulos to describe his relationship to Jesus Christ. You see, there were, there were slaves back in the day, back in those days, who they loved their masters and their masters loved them. And sometimes they would request to stay with their master for the remainder of their life because of that relationship. Remind you today, we are owned by our Savior, Jesus Christ. He doesn't ill-treat us. He doesn't mistreat us. He doesn't treat us less than an animal. But in our attitude towards Him, we should see ourselves indebted to our Lord and wanting to serve Him and be at the wish and whim of our Savior, whatever He asks us to do. You notice this man that he was property, but notice something else in verse two. This man was precious. Would you look at verse two again? A certain centurion servant who was dear unto him. Now, somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way. This man who was property. Became somebody very precious. Somewhere along the way. They developed a friendship. Somewhere along the way. This centurion noticed this slave was different from the others. He worked a little bit harder than the others. He was a little bit more conscientious than the others. He did more than the others. He went beyond, he went the extra mile in everything he did. And this centurion and the servant developed a friendship, a, a very unusual bond 
where perhaps this, this, this centurion elevated the slave to a level that typical slaves were not elevated to. He didn't see him as property. He saw him as someone was precious. The Bible says he was dear unto him. This, this servant may have earned, he may have earned this, this right of this centurion loving him because of his loyalty and fealty. What a wonderful relationship they have. He was precious to him. Remind you this morning, dear servant of God, if you're serving the Lord, you are precious to our Savior, Jesus Christ. May I remind you today, there's nothing that you do for Jesus that is overlooked. And there's nothing you do for Jesus that is underlooked. And there's nothing you do for Jesus that you could that you could ever do too much for him. May I remind you today that the Lord loves you. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 6.10, God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love and remind you today perhaps you're sitting on the fence and you're thinking today i'm not sure nobody ever recognizes what i do and i'm not sure maybe i should just set aside and step back in what i'm doing and and not do something remind today the lord is looking and the lord knows and maybe nobody else thinks you're precious but i want to tell you today jesus knows you're precious you're precious to him and he he loves you and he's thankful that you're serving and for some today my encouragement for you as we approach the new year and even these christmas holidays that you would just get involved and serve the Lord and do something for Jesus Christ. This, 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 this servant here, he was precious and he was property. But we notice something else that catches our attention. And verse 2 says, this certain centurion servant was dear unto him. Now he was precious to him. They had a friendship. He cared about him. He knew everything happening. But the Bible says, this man was sick and ready to die. Now if you read Matthew's account of this in Matthew chapter 8, Matthew says this man, this servant, was sick of the palsy. Now, palsy was a neurological or nervous disorder. Something similar to grand mal epilepsy. With grand mal epilepsy, you'd have seizures. You could die from those seizures. It was something similar to having advanced and being in the advanced serious stages of Parkinson's disease, where there's tremors, uncontrollable motion. If you're familiar with Bell's palsy, sometimes someone that someone that has Bell's palsy could be mistaken as having a stroke because their face just starts to droop. A, a good preacher friend of mine, not very far from here, was preaching in his pulpit last year, the year before. He was preaching in the evening service, and as he was preaching, his face started to droop, and the congregation started to realize. They looked at him, they thought their pastor was having a stroke, and they immediately men got up and tried to help him out. And, and he was a little bit stubborn because he wanted to finish his message, and he was just in the heat of his preaching there. And everyone thought he had a had a stroke, and they heard he got the preacher into a car and. Rushed him to ER. Thankfully, the, the uh, ER was very close to where the church is situated there. And they got him in and they diagnosed and went through a battery test. They said, preacher, you don't have you didn't have a stroke, but you do have Bell's palsy. And he was face was drooping and there were tremors. And this man here, you can imagine as we get to verse verse two, according to Matthew's understanding of it. Matthew said this man was sick of the palsy. And it goes on by saying he described it even further. He said he was grievously tormented. Grievously tormented meant this man was in a declining situation. He was going further and further. He was going downhill all the way. And as we get to Luke chapter 7 verse 2, it said this man was sick. He was deathly sick. And what you notice this description that catches our attention. Because I want you to imagine with me if this was a loved one you got notice of. It tells us something that startles us and tells us something that makes us stop in our tracks. And it tells us something that makes us... That wakens us and it tells us something that brings reality to everything we do. It says this man was ready to die. Are you ready to die? Are you ready to meet your maker? 
Are you ready to die? Death never comes at the right time. Death is always too soon. And this man, I imagine, this man who was property, this man who was precious, he was dying in the sight of the centurion. And I imagine the centurion, as we'll read through this, who had money and means, he probably bought all the best doctors at Capernaum into his home. And the doctors could do nothing. There was nothing they could do to help this man's situation, which was declining, getting worse and worse and worse. He's ready to die. Death is inevitable. Psalms 89 verse 48. Listen. What man is he that liveth. And shall not see death. Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave. Hebrews 9 27. Is appointed to men once to die. After this the judgment. The beautiful offertory that brother Vaughn played. There's a hymn we'll sing one of these next few Sundays. Born to die. Death comes to young and old. Death comes to rich and poor. Death comes to the famous. Not so famous. When death comes knocking your door, there's a dark cloud that's over your home. And over your loved ones. David describes a person who's like this servant is going through the valley of the shadow of death. We see a dying servant. My friend, I remind you this morning, we may have long life, but your greatest need is for eternal life. And I remind you this morning, it is appointed to men once to die. And after this is the judgment. For by one man, sin entered into the world. And death by sin. And so the death has passed upon all men. For all have sinned. You and I are mortal. You and I are not getting younger. We're getting older. Things change. You can work out all you want. You can take all the vitamins you want. You can have all the preventative exercises, things you want. But you're not going to stop the process. Eventually, we will die. This man was ready to die. We see a dying servant. But you notice the second thing this morning. You only see a dying servant. What you notice here in these verses of Scripture, and this is the crux of most of this, the passage, we see a desperate centurion. A desperate centurion. As we consider this man, we're not told his name. But notice, first of all, we're told about his rank. We're told about his rank. He was a centurion. Now, centurions were quite a bit above a Roman soldier. A centurion was in charge of a hundred soldiers. Hence, we get the word century from that. Century. Now, when we use the word century in our vocabulary, we think about a hundred years. But a century used in terms of a Roman, a Roman army referred to a centurion, a man of great rank, a man of great wisdom, a man who was proven, a man of extreme courage. And I want to underscore that a man of extreme courage who was in charge over a hundred soldiers. Now, when you brought 60 of those centuries together, 
you would have a legion. We read about that in Mark chapter 5, about a, a legion. A legion consists of 6,000 men. That man in that, that man in Gadara, the Bible says the name of the demon inside of him was Lemon, and it was Legion. That man was filled with a minimum of six thousand demons. And just thinking about the word legion, it's not just talking demons, demons that were fierce and wicked and, and wild. And this man, this centurion, was a man of great rank. Hey, listen, a centurion, he was of such great importance, he made 15 times more than the average Roman soldier made, if you can imagine that. If the average soldier, let's just say, if the minimum wage today was $15 an hour, and that's what a Roman soldier made, can you imagine if a Roman centurion made 15 times that, he made $225 an hour. This man was of great rank. William Barclay said this about these centurions. He said, they must not be so much seekers after danger as men who can command. Steady in action and reliable. They are not to be over anxious to rush into the fight. But when hard pressed, they must be ready to hold their ground and to die at their post. This man was a man of rank. This man was a man who had money. This man was a man who had influence. This man, by the nature of the of the of the of the, of the uh, military uniform he wore and the place he had, as we'll see today, this man was a man of rank. We see something else. He was a man who was respected. The Bible says in verses 3 to 5 something very interesting. This man heard that Jesus was in Capernaum. Now I'm going to tell you this morning... Then when Jesus went wherever he went, they didn't have Facebook and social media during those days. God bless them. Amen. You know. Nobody posted Facebook. Jesus Christ is here. But everything spread by word of mouth pretty quickly. And I have to imagine that everybody that lived in Capernaum, which was a pretty good sized city. Everybody in Capernaum had heard about Jesus. Not everybody had met Jesus. Everybody heard about Jesus. And I want you to notice this man who was respected as a, as a centurion. The Jews respected him. He sent the elders of the Jews. These were prominent decision makers. We get our word presbyteros. Uh, the word presbyteros describes the elders. We, the word presbyteros describes the word that describes the office of the pastor. It talks about, the, they're called elders, if you would. It talks about men of maturity and men who've been around a little bit and men who are respected. And, and this man had great respect among those elders of the Jews. You have to remember, the Jews did not like the Romans. And the Romans did not like the Jews. And you have to remember that Herod presided over all of that area of Galilee. And you have to remember they didn't like Herod and anybody under Herod's control. But I want to tell you something. This man was uniquely different from all the other centurions. In fact, when we read the Bible, centurions, especially in the book of Acts, they had a very prominent place in the scriptures. We read about a centurion who was at the foot of the cross and declared that Jesus Christ was the Son of God when Jesus died on the cross. We read about a centurion by the name of Cornelius, whose home Peter went to in Acts chapter 10. And there the gospel was given for the, for the first time to the 
the Gentiles. And we read later on about a centurion who became good friends with Paul in Acts chapter 27 and another one in Acts chapter 24 by the name of Claudius Lysias. I mean, centurions had a very prominent role. And where we see these centurions, for the most part, these men that are introduced in Scripture, they were, they were, they were, if you would, sympathetic to the Jewish faith and some were sympathetic to Christianity. Not all, but these men were. And this man had an influence with the Jews. And he had the respect of the Jews to where he commissioned two of the elders. Would you notice this in verses 3 to 5? It says, he heard of Jesus and he sent unto him. And you want to look at that word sent. The word sent is very different than used, is used later on in this passage. The word sent has the same idea of Jesus Christ sending his apostles out to be missionaries. It was a mandate. So I want you to understand something this morning. This man had such rule and such power that he mandated. He sent the word apostello. He said, I'm sending. He called two of the elders in, some of the elders in. And he said, listen, you men, I, I need to ask you to do something. He says, I need you to go to Jesus of Nazareth right now. Now, they could have refused him, but they went under his authority. He was respected by those men. You get down to verse verse 5, and they say something very interesting. These men come, and the Bible says in verse 4 that they besought Jesus Christ instantly. I mean, I want you to understand something. These men did not invite Jesus to a cup of coffee, and they didn't, they didn't ask him. They came, we sit down at Starbucks somewhere or a piece of coffee somewhere, and we want to chit-chat with you for a minute and to bring up their need. They said, listen, they knew this servant was ready to die, and they knew from the urgency that the centurion sent them on this mission. They needed to get to Jesus on behalf of the centurion as quick as they could. I mean, I want to tell you something this morning. As we look at verse 5. These elders of the Jews, they loved this centurion and he loved them. The Bible says they described it. They said, listen, this man is worthy for whom he should do this. Now, the word worthy, you might want to write this down. You know that phrase we sometimes use in English? Some of our English idioms are very unique to us. That phrase that says he is worth his weight in gold. How many of you ever used that phrase? He's worth his weight in gold. How many familiar with that? In other words, you say he's worth his weight. The word, the word worthy here means he's, he's weighty. He's worth his weight. And in other words, this man, that he is, he's, he's respectable and you could trust him and he's somebody you should do something great for. And they, they were, they were giving the testimony of the centurion. They said in verse four that this man, he was worthy for him and should do this. Now, the elders did not, they did not believe in their hearts of the capability of Jesus Christ. And they were really not deciding in their hearts that Jesus Christ was the son of God who came in the flesh. And these elders were not very convinced that the authority of God and the power of God was on Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you as we get into this message, this centurion believed that Jesus Christ was the Almighty God. And they said, they went, we're going to do what you told us to do. And they went to this, the Lord Jesus Christ and said, this man is worth his weight is gold. He said, he's worthy for whom we're asking you to do this. You need to come back with us, Jesus. And you need to touch this man. And you need to heal this servant on behalf of our master. And then he went on. They went on and told him something else. Notice verse 5. What a great resume. For he loveth our nation. When one of the Jews loved him. You love their people. Can I tell you something? If you get called to mission field, one of the signs you're called to mission field, that God gives you a love for that nation. God gives you a love for the people. God puts in your heart to learn that language and to understand the culture. And God puts in your heart to immerse yourself there and to become just like them. This man loved their nation. And the Bible went on to say something else. He loved those people. Now, you have to remember... 
as a centurion in charge of a hundred soldiers. He had judicial responsibility over things. They had to help keep law and order. And I think this man teaches us something about leadership. This man was a giving leader. Notice what it says in verse 5. For he loveth our nation. Would you notice it? And he has built a synagogue, built us a synagogue. They say that remnants of that synagogue that that centurion built are still there in Capernaum. What remains of Capernaum. He was a man that was respected. Jesus, would you help this man? He's worthy of your help. This man was a man of rank. This man was a man respected. But you notice something else. This man was a man that was responsive. His servant was dying. He sent the leaders of the Jews on his behalf. Beseeching him, asking him, begging Jesus, please, would you come and do something for this centurion servant? And I want you to notice as we consider the response of this man, what it means to be responsive. Being responsive means going into action to seek a solution for a problem. You're reactive, you see the problem, and you may not necessarily do anything about it. You might get upset, but don't do anything about it. But a responsive person takes initiative in dealing with it with a matter of urgency. And the centurion could have taken the servant and put him back with somebody else, say, hey, you take care of it. But he took responsibility. He was a man of great rank and great authorities. We'll see in a minute. But he took responsibility for this man. He was responsive. He said, somebody's got to do something for this man. He said, my servant is dying and something's got to happen. And the Bible tells us, if you would, in verse 3, that he heard of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but this man heard enough about Jesus that he was convinced in his mind that Jesus could help this man's servant. He was convinced in his mind, in his heart, that Jesus was the only one that could help him. And I want to see, I want you to understand something with me. This man was a man that was used to doing things. He was a man that was used to getting things accomplished and getting things done. And so that responsiveness as a leader came out in him. But I want you to see this. This man heard enough about the miracles of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus. He was convinced in his heart that Jesus could help this man. He was a desperate man seeking help. Let me tell you this morning, if you're the one in need of help, or you've got a spouse in need of help, or a son or daughter in need of help, or you've got a friend that's in need of help, or a grandparent that's in need of help, or a parent that's in need of help, I'm going to tell you this morning, you're going to become a very responsive person. You're going to realize you've got to get to Jesus as fast as you can. Let me tell you this morning, you might be somebody who's languishing right now because you've got a problem, and you've got a difficulty, and you've got an ailment, and you've told your friends about it, and you've put it all over social media and you've told other people about it but you have yet to tell Jesus about your problem you've yet to tell the Lord about what's going on may I suggest to you this morning that maybe we need to reverse the order of things and instead of looking at how everybody else we can tell that's humanly in nature maybe we need to take what our problem and our burden to the Lord and let God know about your problem and realize that, that the Lord himself can solve that problem you need to bring it to him to be to help you to, in your situation this man was desperate he was responsive he came to Jesus but I want you to notice this man 
As he comes to Jesus, the Bible describes this much more fully in Luke 7 than in Matthew chapter 8. He did not come to Jesus personally, per se. And would you notice the reliance of this man? He sent these elders to Jesus and they brought a good report. And notice for six, Jesus didn't say a word. He just went with them. Let me remind you this morning that sometimes when we pray earnestly about something, just because the Lord didn't answer right away, doesn't mean the Lord may not be interested in your situation. Sometimes God's delays are not God's denials. Amen. And God has his way. He works in our lives. And sometimes he just, God has his perfect timing about things. We just, we can't question that. And a lot of times God's perfect timing, he gets a, our backs right against the wall and we can feel the Egyptian army breathing on our back. And it's right at the moment you say, man, this is too close for comfort. Might be too close for comfort, but that's just how God works. Amen. Now, Jesus knows all this is going to happen. Would you notice verse six, this man sent another delegation out. The first delegation he sent in verse three were the elders of the Jews. The second delegation he sends out are some friends. And notice in verse 6, the Bible says, And when he was now not far from the house, that's Jesus, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Now, I want you to understand something. This man was responsive. He, he asked Jesus for help and intervention. And Jesus did not turn him away. By the way, I'm going to tell you this morning, if you ask Jesus for, your help, for help in your life, he doesn't turn you away. He's there for you. You just got to be, you have to be patient and wait for God's timing and what God does for you. And so Jesus is coming to the man's house. But this man, you have to remember, now everything he's doing in terms of communication is through other people. And what happened to this man begins in verse 3. The Bible says, he heard about Jesus. Faith was originating in this man's soul. Listen, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith cometh by and hearing by the he heard the word of God. And I'm going to tell you what I believe here as we transition from chapter 6 over into chapter 7. This great sermon of the plain went with Jesus. And words spread abroad about these great words that Jesus taught. And I can't help but think, if you go back to chapter 6, the very last thing Jesus says in chapter 6, He says in verse 47, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He's saying this, listen, I'll tell you a man who, can, who hears my words and obeys my words, what this man's faith is all about. And He gives a contrast. Contrast number one, He describes a man who builds his house on a rock. He said, He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, <coughs> the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. So Jesus is saying, someone who obeys his word, who hears his word and does exactly what Jesus said. This man has a deep foundation. This man has learned to dig deep. Listen this morning, you're not going to have a deep faith in Jesus Christ until you dig deep into the word of God. Until you get dig deep into a relationship with him. And this man dig deep and he laid the foundation. I was asking a man several years ago, if you know anything about the city of Emeryville, city of Emeryville is, is basically like a parts of our marina. It's just, it's basically all land. 
landfill there that it's built upon. And you've got to be sure that if they put any kind of a buildings there, that they go very deep and hit bedrock before they lay the foundation. And I was asking a, a, a contractor that I knew that was building a major office building there in Emeryville many, many years ago. And I asked this man, I said, hey, tell me about what you're doing here. I said, this area is all landfill. And I said, I know that area where you're planning to put this right by the marketplace there. I said, how are you going to do this? He said, Alan, I want to tell you something. He said, we've done the, we've done the geological surveys and we've done the soil reports and we've done all that. We've studied this for several years. And he said, we're ready to do this. And we've determined how deep we have to go. And he said, we're going to have to go many feet deep in order to, until we hit bedrock. And when we hit bedrock, there we'll build our foundation. And there we're going to, we're going to build this building. And he described how deep they had to go. And I don't remember the depth, but it was more than 15 to 20 feet. They had to go beneath the surface in order to hit bedrock. Hey, that's what Bible's talking about here. He says, a man who hears the word of God, he digs deep. He goes beneath the shifting sand. He keeps digging and digging and digging until he hits bedrock. And when he hits bedrock, that's the point where the foundation is being poured. Can I tell you this morning? Jesus Christ is the foundation for your faith. You've got to dig deep and you've got to build your foundation upon Jesus Christ. And that begins when you put your faith in him. And so he says, the man that obeys him, he builds his foundation upon Jesus. And the test of that foundation is when the storms come and the winds blow and the waves come that listen, that house may shake and the, and the, and the streets will beat upon it, but the house will not fall. But he says, notice verse 49, but he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately fell and the ruin of that house was great. Listen, if you're an emotional believer, always running to one thing than to the other, your faith is not rested in the Lord and you've not dug deep. You're constantly going to be in emotional turmoil. The waves will beat and the winds will blow. And Jesus described, great is the ruin thereof. The centurion, faith was originating in his soul. He heard about Jesus. And he was convinced in his heart of some things. And so we get to verses 6 to 8 and you'll notice this man in his reliance. We see his faith. We see this man's faith. We see him explaining his faith. You have to remember that as he sends this first delegation and now his second delegation out, he's filled with anxiety for his servant. He's filled with much care. When we're filled with anxiety, we're worried. We're biting our fingernails. We're sleepless. We have no appetite. We're bothered in our heart and thoughts. There's agitations in our heart because we're anxious. This man did what we all should do when we're anxious. We need to go to the Lord. Amen. George Mueller said the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. The beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. For this man, his anxiety and his care was the launching point for his faith. Hey, are you filled with anxiety? Are you filled with care? Are you filled with concern? Your head, heart heavy? You need to go to the Lord. Amen. You need to realize you've got to exercise faith at that moment. And notice this man, we see his faith there because as he says the second delegation, which you notice in verses six to eight, the abasement in his faith. Now the abasement means his humility in his faith. I want you to see how humble this man was in his faith. How much he lowered himself. To abase oneself means to lower oneself. It's to bring someone to take yourself and to bring yourself below the place of dignity. 
And he sends this delegation of very close friends. And he says to these friends, you tell the Lord, verse 6, Lord, trouble not thyself. Now, literally, the phrase trouble not thyself is a very strong phrase. And Bill literally has the idea of someone being skinned alive. Of flaying someone alive. In other words, someone being whipped with the Roman cat and nine tails. He's got his hands against the wall or against the pillar somewhere. And his back is stretched out as Paul's was and as Jesus was. And they flay him alive on his back or skinning a person alive. He's saying here, Lord, don't vex yourself. Lord, don't put yourself under extreme care. And don't, don't burden yourself. I mean, here's this man. I want you to understand, this is a centurion. This is a man who typically is hardened by war and by battle and by bloodshed. This is a man who's saying to the Lord Jesus Christ, I've, I've got second thoughts here, Lord. He's saying, listen, I know I've sent this delegation of elders for you to come and to heal my servant. But he says, Lord, don't trouble yourself. And he goes on by saying this. Look at this. He says, I am not worthy. Although should enter under my roof. And this man's thinking about who he is. The elders had said, he's worth his weight in gold. They said, this man is worthy. Listen, he's, he loves our nation. He's built a synagogue. I mean, they're advocating for this man. They're, they're saying, man, this guy's worth it. You can, you can trust him. He won't spit in your face and he won't be spiteful of you. But this man, he thought about himself and he says, he thought about who he was in relation to the Son of God. Because I want you to understand, then from the very first time he heard something about Jesus Christ and faith is the in his heart, this man is thinking about who Jesus is and he's equating, he's made a decision that Jesus is God. He's not a man, he's God, amen. He says, hey, you tell the Lord. And by the way, aren't you glad he called him Lord there, amen? In submission. He says, Lord, I'm not worthy. Thou shouldest come under my roof. He said, Lord, I'm, I'm not what they say they, are, that they say I am. I'm not worthy. I'm not deserving. In fact, the word worthy, I, not worthy, literally means this. I'm worthless. I'm worthless. And he goes on by explaining why he was worthless. Because notice in verse 7, he first said, he says, For I also am a man set under authority. In other words, he's saying here, I'm a man who has power. I am a man who has control over people. And people, that people do what I tell them to do. He said, I'm a man who said under authority. He says, people do what I tell them to do. I mean, this man had great, great power. He just, he was recognized as a leader. He was recognized as a man of influence. He was recognized as a man who could get things done. But you know what he's saying here? He's read verse 8. He said, for I'm a man sent under authority. And I say unto one, go. And he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant, he's talking about that servant who's languishing, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. And he said, Lord, listen, I understand who you are. I've come to this understanding by faith, who you are. You are Jesus, and you are God, and you are all powerful, and you're infinite, and you're eternal, and you're everlasting. And he didn't know all the gospel, and I'm not even sure if he knew much of the Old Testament, but he'd been under the influence of scriptures enough that I think as he understood from the Old Testament that Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh, and Jesus Christ now is the Messiah who's come to die for the sins of the world. And this man is realizing, listen, this is God. This is God walking among us. As Paul John said, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten the Father, full of grace and truth. I want you to understand something. That man of all that congregation there, that man understood and believed something about Jesus that those elders didn't believe. And something his friends did not believe. But this man believed because he had a friend that was dying and at the point of death. Listen, this morning, you believe Jesus is God? 
Do you believe he's all powerful? Do you believe he can answer your prayers? Do you believe he is who he says he is? Do you believe he can calm the storms in your life? Do you believe he can feed the multitudes and feed your soul just as he did with them? I believe that. This man was saying this. Listen. Jesus, I'm nobody. I'm nobody. Can I tell you something this morning? Unless you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, He will not exalt you in due time. He said, I'm nobody. Who cares I manage a hundred soldiers? Who cares I've been in charge of a Roman legion? If that doesn't bring my servant back, who cares? Lord, I'm not worthy. Here's our problem. We believe the lies people say about us. We believe we're deserving of respect. We believe we're deserving of honor. We believe we're deserving of the accolades and the praises. And after we get a few of those, we start believing all those things. And we start thinking that we're really somebody there. And we think that we can command and push people around. And listen, there's no place in the work of God for bullying people around. And there's no place in the work of God for tearing people apart and bringing them down. And I'm going to tell you as we read Luke chapter 7, a very humbling thought for us today. The most humble man in that whole story was the centurion. And I tell you this, he was the most accomplished man of everybody in that story too. He had every right to say, Jesus, you need to come because I'm a centurion. He didn't say that. He said, Jesus, he says, I thought about who I am. And there was the abasement in his faith. They say I'm worth my weight in gold. But I'm going to tell you what I think. I think because of how I've lived my life. And how I've kind of commanded people around. And probably at times I've misused my authority. Lord. I'm not worthy you should come here. But notice what he said here. He still was concerned about his servant. Remember that? Now he's a desperate centurion. And this man said in verse 7. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. Now, what you notice is the man said this. I mean, I want you to understand the humility of this man. I'm so ashamed of who I am. I'm so ashamed of what I am. I have to send other people on my behalf. Because I'm afraid afraid you'll turn me away, Lord. But he goes on by saying in verse 7. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. But notice the faith of this man. Would you consider the faith? But say in a word. And my servant shall be healed. Now we see the abasement in his faith. But I want you to notice the absolute in his faith. His faith was absolute in Jesus Christ. There were no barriers in his faith. There were no hindrances in his faith. There was no hiccups in his faith. There was nothing stopping this man's faith. This man said this. He said, Lord, if you just speak a word, I just believe in your word. Listen, this man knew enough. Listen, the Bible says by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the 
word of God. So that things which are seen were not made by things which do appear. Hebrews 11.3. I remind this man, he understood the power of the word. And this man understood in front of him, coming to his home, was the living word. The word of God delivereth and abideth forever. The precious seed of the word that could change the life. And he realized the word of Jesus Christ was so powerful that it could change what was going on in his home. And the word of Jesus Christ was so powerful, it could give his servant back his life. This man had absolute faith that just if Jesus spoke a word, he could get it done. Now I'm going to tell you this morning, that was greater faith than anybody in the city Capernaum had at that moment of time. He believed and had no doubt. He faced a crisis of epic proportion. I want every Christian to listen to this next statement. Every Christian this morning, please. The servant was ready to die. That servant was there unto him. Every breath that servant made, his breathing was getting shallower and shallower. And it was becoming more difficult. And his life was ebbing from him. And he realized, I've got to get my... I've got to get the servant, I've got to get Jesus into our situation right now. And we've got to get Jesus into our situation right now. Judith Hightower in our church, her sister-in-law, has been very sick and on our prayer page for actually several months. Her sister-in-law took a turn for the worse this last few days. And Judith, who's not here this morning, she's been at the bedside of her sister-in-law day and night down there in San Jose. And she messaged on Monday, said, Pastor, I just want you to know I've spent, been spent the night down here and my sister's not doing, sister-in-law's not doing very well. And asked her about her faith in Christ. Asked her if she knew for sure she was saved. She said, yes, but she said, I'm a little bit concerned because I thought about what she said and her religious background and upbringing. Therefore, I'm not really sure my sister-in-law is saved. She said, Pastor, would you pray? I said, we've got to do more than pray right now, dear. I said, uh, why don't you get the booklet out? A right start. Inside of us, the plan is salvation. I want you to read that to your sister-in-law. And I want you to read every scripture verse. And if she's capable, you have her read the verses back to you. Yesterday, I got a message from Judith. We were just ending sowing. We had a very fruitful day of sowing yesterday. All of our folks that were out sowing. And Judith messaged me back. I was driving down to South Bay to see one of our members who's recovering from a major illness. And I was going down there and I got this message and I took a quick glance. And she said, Pastor, I did what you told me to do. I read, I read this to my sister-in-law and she read it back. And I asked her, I said, Don, do you, do you know for sure you're saved? You're not. We, we, we need to, you need to call upon the Lord to save you. She said, would you pray with me right now? And her sister-in-law prayed with her and received Jesus Christ, her personal Savior, yesterday. Ready to die. Ready to die. And I want to say every Christian this morning. You don't know of this Christmas musical next Saturday and Sunday. Might be the last time a loved one or someone you know is going to hear the gospel. You don't know if it's going to be like our sister in Christ, Anna Lopez, who brought her husband to our Easter musical in 2018 on April 11th. And he heard the gospel. And unbeknownst to me, she never shared this with me. And nobody, none of our altar workers saw this. But while they were in the back of the auditorium way back here, as we gave the invitation and led people in prayer to accept Jesus Christ as Savior, Joe Lopez called on the Lord to be a Savior. Hey, I wouldn't have known right when I'm in the middle of my, away from church just in early November there. I would not have known this man would have passed away suddenly and unexpectedly and entered 
eternity, the age of 55. But I'm going to tell you this morning, friend, listen, there's just a step between you and me and death. And this man approached Jesus and appeals to him, just speak a word. Just speak a word. My servant will be healed. George Mueller said, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Did you hear that? There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Verse 8 is the last thing the centurion says. We see a dying servant. We see a desperate centurion. As we close this morning, let's see how it all comes together. Would you see the dependable Savior? Amen. Now I want you to understand in verses 6 to 8, this servant is making, this centurion is making a confession. He's bearing his heart. He's just being frank and candid who he is. Listen, getting saved doesn't mean, like, yeah, I believe I'm a sinner and I'm going to tell God I'm a sinner and that, that'll take care of thing. No, you've got to come sincerely like this centurion did. God needs to know that you know you can't save yourself. Your religion can't save you and all those things because only Jesus can save your soul. Amen. When Jesus heard these things, verse 9, notice the Bible says he marveled at him. He was amazed at this man's faith. Hey, you can ask the question, look up here this morning. Does Jesus marvel at our faith? Is he amazed at the faith we exercise? Is he amazed at your confession of humility? Is he amazed at your exercise of faith in him? And the Bible says in verse 9, he marveled at him and he turned him about. Jesus did something that was very abrupt and unpredictable. He turned around. And all the people that were following him, his disciples and the crowd that was with him as he gave the sermon on the plane, he turned around and looked at all those groups of people and he said something to them that startled them and said something that pricked their hearts and convicted them. He said, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Now, I'm thankful this morning that when Jesus, Jesus was going to go to that man's house, regardless of the man had a confession, but I'm thankful that we have a Savior who is there when we need Him. And I'm thankful this morning we have a Savior who is all-powerful. And I'm thankful this morning we have a Savior who is there to help us. And I'm thankful that we have a Savior. There's no disease He cannot heal. And there's no demon He cannot cast out. And there's no death that He cannot conquer. And there's no dominion that He's not greater over. I'm thankful this morning we have a Savior who's all-powerful, who's all-God. He's Jesus this morning. I'm thankful He works in whatever way He chooses to receive the glory. So what you notice in verse 9, we see Jesus praising What a remarkable statement. I say unto you, I have not found. Matthew 7, 7, Jesus gives us a promise about prayer. Verse 7, he says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and ye shall. Seek and ye shall. Okay. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Now listen to this. Verse 8 says, Matthew 7, 8, For he that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, he that seeketh. Look at here. When Jesus went there, he was looking. He's been searching. 
I have not found what I was on a search. I have not found so great faith. And you have to remember, he's probably in the first six to 12 months of his three year ministry there. I have not found I've been looking, but I have not found so great faith. Would you understand something this morning? The centurion was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. He was a Roman. Who should have had great faith? The Jews. I have not found so great faith. No. Not in Israel. The entire nation. You say this man loved your nation and you say he built your synagogue and those are things are great. But I say to you, this man, I have found not so great faith. No, not in Israel. Jesus commends this man's faith. And then we see Jesus performing. And verse 10 says, and they that were sent returned to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. Matthew 8, 13, Jesus told the centurion's friends to tell him, as thou hast believed, so be it unto thee. He was healed. Jesus Christ turned the clock back. He gave him back his life. He was in good health again. In Capernaum, a great miracle happened. A servant was restored to health. Word spread around the community. But I'm going to tell you this morning, the greatest thing that happened in the community were two things greater than that servant being healed. I don't want to, I don't want to overlook this, but I don't want to, I don't want to underplay this. I mean, it was great the servant was healed, but I want you to understand something. What was great about Capernaum is Jesus came to Capernaum. And what's great about Capernaum was that this, this servant, this centurion, his faith is recognized. Notice this morning, the Bible leaves us with this thought in verse 9 as we close today. Jesus said, I say unto you, I found, I not found so great faith. Now what was great about this man's faith? What is great about his faith? I think Hebrews 11.6 answers that for us. Without faith, it's impossible to. He wasn't a Bible scholar. Hebrews 11 had not been written. But he understood one thing. Faith pleases God. Faith honors God. And by the way, God honors faith. Not only this man fulfilled the fact that he pleased God, but notice how he pleased God. For, for without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Not that he was. Not that he will be. He is. He is God. He is God. He is the Savior of the world. He is all-powerful. He is He's the creator of the universe. He is preeminent in all things. He is for us and not against us. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And listen, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This man believed Jesus Christ is. Do you believe he is? Do you believe he's still God? Do you believe he's still the same? 
Do you believe he's still the power, the power of God unto salvation? Do you still believe he's creator? Listen, I think our greatest need this morning is to realize that Jesus is looking for so great a faith. With that kind of faith, the gospel can get around the world. With that kind of faith, the gospel can penetrate and overcome the strongholds of religion and idolatry. With that kind of faith, listen, we could, we could capture the United States of America, divided nation could be one again, not because of politics, but because of the power of God. As long as we have divisive issues on politics, as long as we want, we're running a government by men's persuasions and who di- and how they differ from the spending of government money and the taxing of the people and all those kind of things. Because the bottom line gets down to who controls your money, what, what happens with your money when you get past all that. It's not about those things. Our nation was not founded upon a government. Our, go- our nation was founded upon being a republic. It was founded upon a republic on God whose faith would be on God and people to believe the Lord. But listen, we've gotten away. We believe in ourselves. We believe in our words. We believe in our doings. We believe in all the things. And we've bought in those lives as Christians. I say to you, this morning we need to get back to the place as a people of God that we believe in God and God alone faith alone in God so great faith your prayers will get answered so great faith your family can get saved and so great faith we can have the best attended overflowing attendance we've ever had next Saturday and Sunday at a Christmas musical we just have so great faith to believe that God can help us to get lost people in church and I'm thankful you've got Christian friends and you want to see your Christian friends to hear about Heritage Baptist Church and to see what we're doing and maybe there's something inside of you that says I just want you to know that we do things a little bit better than other churches that's okay with that but I want to encourage you our Christmas musical is about getting people saved about people hearing the gospel So great a faith. Buildings can get established. Churches can be established. Preachers can be called. Missionaries can be sent. Money can be raised. Faith promise can exceed what we've done this past year. Orphanages can be built. You name it. On and on and on. Hospitals that can minister the gospel, can be established with so great a faith. The greatest exercise of our faith is in our praying. We're not to pray for what we can do with God. We're to pray realizing that without God we can accomplish nothing. We need God. We need to pray in faith. We need to live by faith. The Lord commends great faith. For every sinner here this morning who's not saved, listen to this. You may not have great faith, but as D.L. Moody said, little faith will bring heaven to your soul. And great faith Little soul will bring your soul to heaven. Great faith will bring heaven to your soul. I urge you this morning, if you're not saved, faith alone is going to save you. You must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for your sins and rose again from the dead. I believe the centurion got it right. We see verse 3. 
And then we get to verse 7. He said, Lord, just speak a word. My servant will be healed. If you're not saved this morning, today you can be born into the family of God. The Christian friend, we think about great faith. Mary and Joseph had great faith. Because what God had asked them to do and to accept is nothing short of great faith. I think that if it was any of us, we would have failed the job. We would have disbelieved God and said, Lord, it's not possible. Do you know God can use you? You need to have faith. God can send you, but you need to have faith. God can conquer your ailments, but you need to have faith. You must have great faith. This morning, would you exercise faith? Would you be like that man who humbled himself? I'm not worthy. I'm nobody. I'm worthless. But just speak a word, Lord. My servant will be healed. Father, this morning, thank you for this great story, this great event. The Lord, in your great providence, you captured for us. You gave us a snapshot of the faith of a centurion. And Jesus said, I have not found so great faith. I pray this morning for Christians who are stirred in their heart about their little faith or maybe no faith, exercising great faith this morning. Lord, we're exhorted to have great faith. How many Christians this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed would say, Pastor, pray for me with your hands raised. Pray for me that God will help me to have great faith. How many need great faith? You pray for that this morning. How many great faith to have people in church next Saturday and Sunday? How many great faith for your family members and friends to get saved? How many would you raise your hand with it? God bless you. How many else tonight? Who else today? Now, you know you don't have great faith. We need, to, we need to be honest with God. This man was honest with God. And he was bigger than us. Be honest about the need for great faith. And secondly, are you ready to die? Are you ready to meet your maker? Would you exercise faith this morning like Perry Hightower did yesterday? Call upon the name of the Lord to save you. You must believe. You must repent of your sins and believe that Christ died for you and rose him from the dead. If there's somebody here today that would raise their hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved and I want to exercise that faith to be saved today, but I'm not sure. Would you pray for me to have faith to be saved today? Anyone like that? You'd raise your hand around the auditorium. Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but I want to know for sure. Anybody like that? Anyone like that this morning? I'm not sure I'm saved and going to heaven, but I want to know for sure. Now you'd exercise faith this morning. It takes faith to come down that aisle. It takes faith to be obedient to the Lord. It takes faith to do what God tells you to do. Would you exercise faith today? God spoke to you about exercising faith. Would you do it this morning? Father, help us this morning to be like that man to have so great faith. Would you bless and use this time to exhort us and build us in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Piano's playing. Let's stand. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I invite you this morning. God's working your heart. How about your faith today? Christian, are you ready to die? Would you serve God? Would you have great faith? Would you exercise great faith about doing something you're not doing now? Would you have great faith to pray? Ask God to do something. Would you pray for your family members and others you've invited to be in church this next weekend? Would you do that? 
we sing another stanza. Brother Vaughn's going to sing one. Would you come this morning? If you're not saved, come. You need exercise faith. Would you do that this morning? Would you do that today? Father, we're so thankful today that we have the opportunity to exercise great faith. Help us to have the faith that pleases you and to believe that you are the God who is, not the God who was, not the God who will be, but the God who always is. And today we thank you that you're for us and not against us. And thank you today that, Lord, you're a God who's all-powerful and almighty. You're our shield in our, of our faith. And, Father, this morning, bless and use the faith of your people to do great things for God. Dismiss us with your blessing. Help us be attentive to the things of the Lord that you might be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.